Well, greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, truly the one and the only. I was just thinking of, I truly hope that our hearts are to worship this holy God, this holy God. Well, I want to turn your thoughts uh, this morning to what the, at least the scripture partially uh, says about thanksgiving. Um, we have just come through this past observance of another day set aside uh, by none other than the government of the United States. Isn't that an amazing concept? that there was a time in our nation that our leaders thought it well that we would set aside a day for Thanksgiving. And uh, so that's my heart. I've been thinking about um, Thanksgiving all week, I guess. And um, Thanksgiving doesn't come out of a vacuum. It doesn't just happen uh, accidentally. Uh, we can, by God's grace, be intentional in our thanksgiving. Um, but uh, as we want to look at, I think um, we will see that there are foundations for it, and, and there are things that uh, militate against it. Um, and um, so I want to... I want to go for a scripture reference. I want to consider 2 Corinthians 4, and specifically in verse 15. Now, uh, I, want, uh, I want you to understand that this, this passage, I believe, leads up to this verse. Um, and that we may not always recognize how this passage, how 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 specifically points to verse 15. But let me read 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 15. And uh, then we'll uh, eventually read this whole chapter. But uh, I want to focus in on this verse. Here, uh, what... The Lord says in His Word, For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. So there are some things that are right on the surface here. Uh, I'll, I'll mention maybe a few here. First off, we see that to give thanksgiving, or to, to give thanks, to be engaged in thanksgiving, that is to render thanks to God, is a glory to God. Now, that should be enough for us to do it, right? That it is a glory to God. Just right here on the top, that thanksgiving abounds to the glory of God. So when you open your mouth in and render thanks for something that you've received from Almighty God, it is a glory to God. I think we even understand this in our lives. You give yourself to someone, you serve someone, you give someone a gift, and for that recipient not to acknowledge you know, even though you don't necessarily give it for thanks, you do, it, it, there's, a, there's a real blessing in you receiving back an acknowledgement of receiving. Well, we see that here as well, that God is glorified when you return thanks for His goodness. And I believe He is glorified not only on earth, but he's also glorified in the heavens because we have, we have uh, 
we have, we're being observed even in heaven. Now, another thing that we see here is that Thanksgiving doesn't just happen. <laughs> it's caused. Have you ever considered that? Why that you give thanks? What is the, the, the what trips, what is that, what, what is that uh, mechanism that causes you to raise up thanks to, to God? And this should also show us, um, well, let me, let me finish here. We see that spreading grace is the cause of thanksgiving. That, notice what he says, for all things are for your sakes that grace having spread through the many may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. That this grace that they were receiving, this many that is referred to here, that grace having spread, it's like a, a spilled bucket of water, it spreads out across this floor, and it is causing thanksgiving to ascend to God, to abound to the glory of God. So if we're not giving thanks, that means we're not in tune with what we're receiving from God. That is just here on the surface. Well, let's, uh, let's go back. I want to look at this chapter and just recognize what Paul is teaching here in 2 Corinthians 4. So please hear, again, the reading of God's Word here in 2 Corinthians 4. Let's begin. I, I want you to note the sections here, uh, verses 1 through 6. We could call that a section of Paul's ministry. And then we could call a section 7 through verse 12. We could call it Paul's suffering. Thir verses 13 and 14, we could call Paul's faith. And then verse 15, the one that we're narrowing in on and focusing in on is Paul's motivation. And then the last section, 16 through 18, is Paul's perseverance. So let's look here at uh, this, this scripture. Therefore, verse 1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But, have renounced, but we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus 
and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Well, as I am apt to say, I like to, I like to deal with a topic that is on our minds. And, you know, while the iron is red hot, you, that's when it's malleable. And you can put it on the anvil and, and hammer it and uh, accomplish something. And so while we are thinking about Thanksgiving and we'll, while we have experienced even Thanksgiving... I want, to, I want to just simply engage your minds here this morning and see there's a few other passages that we want to look at. But I want to look at this uh, chapter 4 specifically in light of verse 15. So when Paul says here in chapter 4 verse 1, Therefore since we have this ministry, what is he referring to this ministry? Well, if you look back in... Uh, in verse 6 of chapter 3, just across the page, it says there that God, who, but our sufficiency is from God, that's the way verse 5 ends, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And the old King James says that He has made us able ministers of the new covenant. So what he is saying here, and he speaks then, he goes on about how the old covenant is waxing old and is vanishing away, and the new covenant is, is, now, is now much more glorious than the covenant of law, uh, and, the, and how that, uh, the veil that Moses wore coming down from the mountain is representative of that which is, is passing away. But now since we have this ministry, he says, as we have received Mercy, we do not lose heart. This ministry is the ministry of the new covenant. And as we look down through verses 1 through 6, we see that it is the ministry of preaching Christ Jesus. That it is all, it is, it is focused in, as he says in verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. One of the first things I want to point out in, in this is that ministry is never about those who minister. It's always pointed away from you. It's always, and here Paul is saying to the Corinthians, we are your slaves. You know, the, our ministry is directed towards you. It is a ministry that is particularly engaged in preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is for the benefit of others, for those who are listening. And they are slaves that the, the ministers here for, since we have this ministry, we are your bondservants for Jesus' sake. And it is, it is, it is endeavoring, the ministry that Paul is referring to, his apostolic ministry, and while I, I believe we can make application for everyone who ministers among us, I think it is helpful for us to understand this passage from Paul's perspective to the Corinthians. For instance, verse 12, So then death is working in us, but life in you. Now, you know, that's a little hard to understand if everything is, you know, is, is understood for us literally here. But for Paul to say that, he's saying that, you know, we are, things are coming our way that are detrimental to our physical health, but it is life for you. It is good for you, you see. So it is pointed away from, this ministry is pointed away from us, and it is meant to engage everyone in the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, for it is the God who commanded light 
way back in Genesis 1, who commanded that kind of light. The illustration is that just as physical light had an impact on the chaos of a, of a newly created earth, so is the, the light of the gospel shining into the heart of an unconverted person. It brings light and illumination and order into the chaos of a sinner's life. He makes that illustration. Just as he commanded light to shine then, to shine out of darkness, he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is, in a nutshell, the ministry to show his listeners that the glory of God is seen in the person and life of the Lord Jesus. See, he's saying the same thing in verse 5. We preach Christ Jesus, you see. And he is very careful in how that they do that. He says, we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but, as he says in other places, rightly dividing the word of truth. They are commending themselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, Now notice, this ministry is not without opposition. Chiefly, we have here, in verse 4, where it says, or in verse 3, If the gospel is veiled, like the face of Moses coming down off the mountain, he had to cover his face because the people could not see the glory of God in the face of Moses. It was too much for them. But now he's saying, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Have you ever considered that the gospel is simply the proclamation of the glory of Christ? That's the gospel. Notice what he says here. Lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So this opposition is from the God of this age, who is endeavoring to blind, to keep the veil on. And so the ministry of the gospel is to unveil, is to uncover, is to... To expose, that's, in, that's the endeavoring of preaching expositionally, is to simply expose what God has said. And as we preach, as we declare God's word, the Holy Spirit of God takes that word and illuminates it to the heart and minds of the listeners. But it is Satan's goal to keep that veil down, to keep it covered, so that you would not be able to behold the glory of Christ. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think it was just this week that uh, I heard how the God of this age is doing some of this. He has mastered the art of distraction. Think about it. We are distracted on every side. We are bombarded on every side with other things, some, some so-called good things, you see. But here he says, that is from the enemy, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Lest we should think, lest we should believe, lest we should come to the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And so we preach, not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservant for Jesus' sake. Now, I want to just reiterate here in verse 6 what he is saying. For it is the God who commanded this light to shine, the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts. 
You know, if you understand that the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ, it's just because God has shown it to you. He has shown His heart into our hearts to give this light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person and face of Christ. Now, I want to go to this second point. So, as we think about this ministry of Paul and how it was pointed away from Paul, it was, it was shown out and it was... He was a he was living out his bond servants, his bond service to the Corinthians. So we come to verses seven through twelve. I want to call this section simply Paul's suffering. Now, it could be any of us who are serving and ministering, who are reaching out past us, who are engaged in the work of Christ, in the work of the gospel. Notice what he says. But we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Now, this treasure is this understanding that the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that that's the treasure. And it, is, it would be contained also, you could say it in another way, that it is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. If we understand, if we are working and, and preaching and endeavoring to, to uncover and to unveil this gospel, this that is that the enemy is blinding upon all humanity, but we have this treasure. We have the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is our treasure. If you understand that, that your life is hidden in this treasure, that, that is the treasure, you see. But this treasure is contained in an earth, earthen vessel. Normally you would put a treasure in a vault, you see. You would put a treasure in some sort of secure place so that nothing could harm it. But you see, the treasure is of such a nature. It is like a diamond. It's almost impossible to destroy a diamond, isn't it? They, it's, it's one of the hardest substances. So we have this great treasure, and God has decided that He is going to He is going to put this treasure in an earthen vessel. He is going to frame this glorious truth of the Lord Jesus in fleshly humanity. He's going to set this diamond. He's going to put it on a, on a stand or on a, a dais of, of flesh, so to speak. Why? Why? See, sometimes we, we could ask this question. Well, wouldn't the gospel achieve more if the way were smoother? If... if if the opposition would just stop, the gospel would maybe make more inroads. Not true. Not true. God has designed it that the gospel, this treasure is encased in a weak vessel, in a, in a place of, of, of weakness. It is, it, is, it is held up and lived out in Weak lives. Brothers and sisters, I sat here this morning and I, as I was thinking of communion, I thought of my sin this week. I mean, does communion cause you to reflect on your sin? I hope it does. And it again says, you are a needy, you're a needy person. And you again reach out by faith and says, this Christ, this is what I need. This salvation is still what I need. It is currently redeeming me, you see. So we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. Notice 
what he says. Why is that? He says that the excellence, you see, of the power may be of God and not of us. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Mm. You see, the excellence stands in contrast to the earthen. It stands in contrast to the weakness. It stands in contrast to the fallible. To the, as we read here, stands in, the excellence is from God and the earthen is from us. But he is placing this treasure amongst humanity. It's meant to be that way. It is what we are about. It is why we are still here after we are redeemed. Notice what he says. We are hard-pressed on every side. It is like he's being squeezed from every side, yet not imploded. Yet not crushed. He has all these pressures coming against us. Brothers and sisters, the longer that I am a Christian, the longer that I live and the longer I believe, the longer I recognize that, that there are things pressing in all the time. Are they not? They're pressing in. They are working to, to perplex us. But notice what he says, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Why are we not crushed? Because the excellence of the power of God is flowing in. There is more pressure going in than it is coming at you. Think about that. The air pressure on the inside is greater than the air pressure on the outside. It's the inflow of God's power is keeping us inflated, so to speak. It is keeping us from being crushed. We are perplexed. Are we not? You know, many times we're perplexed. We, we really are, we're not sure which way to turn. And we're troubled. As he says, but we are not in despair. You know, your trials are not to bring you to despair. That's an important truth. There's something wrong if we are in despair. It, is, it means that we are not, we're not reaching out for the grace that is there for us. Brothers, this, is, this needs to be told to me. That when I am perplexed, yes, that is, that it, that is because I'm an earthen vessel. That is because I live in a, in a place of, 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 uh, that is not conducive to what I like. Think about that. We're perplexed because things are coming at us that are not what we would prefer. But we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. You know... Many times persecution takes you away from all that you love. It imprisons you and puts you in solitary confinement. Persecution. But we're not forsaken. We're not forsaken because of the excellence of the power of God cannot be kept outside of a prison wall. It cannot they cannot, those who would persecute us, cannot keep God from being with us. Isn't that amazing? So truly, we cannot be in solitary confinement because we have God with us. Struck down. Struck down. That is the idea of personal conflict, of combat, Struck down, but not ultimately destroyed. Always caring about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. That is what is going on in the life of the believer continually. That 
The dying of the Lord Jesus, what it, that is what is going on in us as we are mortifying the flesh, as we, are, as we are choosing to go after the Lord, and the things that we faced while doing so, as we encounter opposition in the pursuit of our ministry, you see, we are caring about in the body, in this body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. See, when we are able to give thanks when our body is falling apart, that is demonstrating the life of Christ. We are in a, in a body that is falling apart. Truly it is. As we will see here in the end, uh, back here in the back, where it says, though our outward man is perishing. As we get older, the, all the um, perplexities that work on our bodies become more evident. Now, as we get older and this, it becomes even more clear that this is a body that is dying, your ability and my ability to walk in thanksgiving is demonstrating that the life of Jesus is in you. You see, you get the opportunity, we get the opportunity to also portray the life of Jesus. Notice what he says in verse 11, For we who live... I want, I want to just think about that. For we who live, I believe that is speaking about those who are alive spiritually. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake. And in Colossians 2, I, I want to bring this in. Colossians 2, you don't have to turn it. I'll just, actually it's uh, Colossians 1, verse 24 says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. And fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. You, you, get, you see that. Paul is saying that I rejoice when I am physically suffering or even mentally suffering in, or whatever that suffering, whatever form that suffering takes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whatever form that suffering takes, I rejoice in that because you are ultimately benefited. You see, you are ultimately benefiting from my suffering, is what he is saying there in Colossians. And he says, actually, I am filling up in my flesh what the Jews and the Gentiles and everyone who, the Romans, whoever it was, who were crucifying Christ, they couldn't get enough affliction on Christ. So Paul says, I am taking that upon me, that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, for his sake, for the sake of his body, which is the church. So, ultimately what Paul is teaching is that in his suffering, he is aligning himself up with the Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and Christ's suffering for the sake of his body, which is the church. A beautiful picture of Suffering in the flesh that we might show forth the life of the Lord Jesus in our bodies. For he says, we are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, and here is an interesting, I've struggled a little bit with this, verse 12. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And so I I believe what he's simply saying is that while everything that is coming our way is detrimental to us, to our flesh, we don't like it, but those who are being ministered to are being ministered to life. They are receiving life. They are benefiting from that. They're benefiting from this life. They're benefiting from the ministry that is coming out of Paul's life. 
You know, the Corinthians were being blessed. Even though Paul was being persecuted, you know, there's a, an account of, of all the perils that he faced. And I didn't write that, uh, that reference down. But all that was working against Paul was working life in them. And so that is an important truth that I think will, will, have, its, um, will have its point in verse 15. But notice here now, we come to verse 13. And this 13 and 14, I want to simply point out as Paul's faith. Verse 13, And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Now, that is a reference to, to Psalm uh, 116 and verse 10, where the psalmist said, in the middle of his prayer, in the middle of his calling out to God, he says, I believe, therefore I speak. And the way I understand that is simply, he would not have been speaking out to God, he would not have been calling out to God without faith in God. And, and this is what Paul is referring to. He says, I have that same spirit of faith the psalmist was referring to in Psalm 116 and verse 10. I have that same spirit of faith. And it's not the Holy Spirit, but the same attitude of faith. I have that same perspective of faith as the psalmist did in Psalm 116.10. That when he was crying out to the Lord, he says, and the Lord heard me. I, I'm going to flip back quickly to that because... It has, the, um, Paul used this passage Psalm 116 says, and it begins this way, I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplication. Because He has inclined His ear to me, therefore I will call upon Him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low. He saved me. Return to your rest, O oh my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. You see, and here later he says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Paul takes this little nugget out of Psalm 116 and says, I have this same spirit of faith as the psalmist did. Therefore I am speaking. We also believe and therefore speak. I believe this is, this is the ministry. This is referring to the ministry that is His. You know, you can't share the gospel very well without opening your mouth. You, we are called to give a defense for the reason of the hope that is within us with meekness and fear. Paul says... I believe, and therefore I speak. I, that is true for every one of us. If we believe, we will speak. We will open our mouth. And this is the spirit of faith that Paul is referring to. And then in verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Verse 13 and 14 is a testimony of Paul's faith. He knows that the perplexities that he is experiencing in his mortal flesh, in his earthly body, are not the end. That it will be raised up. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. That... This life is not the end. It is, there is a resurrection of the dead that is, that is coming. And Paul is saying, I know this, and therefore I speak these things. 
And the Lord Jesus indeed will raise us up also with him. Notice then we come to Paul's motivation here in verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Thanksgiving comes from grace. Thanksgiving comes from a sense of spreading grace. And as I spoke earlier, that it is it comes from from the ministry that Paul is exercising toward them. That is why he says, for all things are for your sakes. Everything that Paul has been, whether he is preaching or whether he is being beaten with 39 stripes, all things are for the Corinthians' sake. Notice that the ministry of Paul is a grace to the Corinthians. Paul's ministry is a means of God's grace to the Corinthians. That all of his his suffering has this goal in mind, to spread grace. Paul's preaching is to spread grace, you see. And as those who are hearing him, as this grace is spreading out, and people are receiving that grace, what happens? Thanksgiving begins to come out of their lives. Thanksgiving begins to go, to, to flow out of their lives. Out of our hearts comes a, a, a root of thanksgiving. And it bears fruit on our lips. It is a, the fruit of praise and thanksgiving. It comes out of our heart. It comes out of having received grace. Let me ask you, has anyone thanked God for you? Has anyone ever thanked God that you are in their lives? See, that's what this is talking about. When you receive the grace of God, It changes you in such a way, in such a fashion, that you're spreading grace to others. And out of that grace comes thanksgiving. And that is a glory to God. Whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all to the glory of God. You see, it's not just a theory. It's a practical It takes means and causes other things. It takes the suffering that you are doing, that you're willing to suffer for your ministry, whatever it is. You're reaching into someone's lives and it's costing you something. It may perplex you. It may bring bring you, it may knock you down, you see. But that's the point. To show forth the life of Christ in you that when you're knocked down, you can, you can still smile. You can still, you can still praise the Lord. You see. Thanksgiving. It comes from grace received. But Paul is saying that he and his ministry were engaged in that work of grace. So, so it's, it's, I want to go a step further than just saying we need to be thankful. Amen. You see? The way that people become thankful is when you minister grace into their lives and you suffer for that ministry and you continue to just pour grace, to pour grace, to pour grace. You're, you're, spread, you're a means of God's goodness to the lives of those in your, in your realm. Out of that grace comes thanksgiving. Having spread through, that grace having spread through the many, 
may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. I want to show you this principle in another place. That is in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I think for the sake of time, we will look at, we will begin in verse 11. I want to remember that there is a ministry of grace that you can be engaged in, and that ministry creates a thanksgiving in someone else's heart. And that thanksgiving in this other person's heart redounds or abounds to the glory of God. You see, there's means here. So let's look at this. Now, this is, is, if you look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it's probably the clearest teaching in the New Testament on giving. And it is my understanding that this specifically was Paul addressing the Corinthians to take up a collection for the needy church in Jerusalem. That the Judean church in Jerusalem were, were under either, were under, either a famine or some sort of poverty. I don't know the details on that. But he is teaching them that you should, that they would take up a collection and that it would be sent to, uh, it would be a corporate collection from the church in Corinth that would then be ministered to the Judean church. And so he says here, um, again, I'm, I'm breaking in here a little bit. But uh, notice what he says. I I think I'll read chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. I don't know if you noticed how many, um, how many times it is making this statement of abound, uh, all sufficiency, abundance, every good work. That, that verse, uh, verse 8 is an amazing verse. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that always having all sufficiency in all things, you see, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad, He has given to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now may He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11, While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, For the administration of this service. Now this service, I believe, is referring to the Judean, to the the collection for the Judean church. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints. You see that. It it does that. There's a need and the church is meeting that need. But it also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. And then Paul finishes with this, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the, that, that out of, that, From the backdrop of everything else, we are, first of all, giving thanks to God for His indescribable gift. But out of that, then, we are giving to others. And and others are glorifying God by our ministry to them. And you see this, that God is glorified through through the administration of this service. But I want to flip back and finish here in in, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 where we go to Paul's perseverance. Now, if, if, I don't know if you noticed when I read chapter 4, but it begins in verse 1 with this idea of not losing heart. Notice verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Now we come to verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, one of the, 
One of the main reasons that mitigate against Thanksgiving is if you're discouraged. If you have lost sight of your courage and you, have, you, you, you feel defeated, it is then that you must, with intention, give thanks to God. Not because you feel like it. Not because you think you... Not because you, your circumstances are perfect. No, it is when you're discouraged that you are prone to not give God thanks. Another thing that mitigates against thanksgiving is this current entitlement mentality. Notice, Paul says he, everything is turned towards you. I don't have any perception of need from you from this way. You know, I, there's... The, I'm, let me rephrase that. Of course I have need that I need to I need to I need the church as a blessing. But there's nothing in this for myself. I, I don't I'm not doing this from a he he is just simply serving and even in his service he is suffering. And so that's the opposite of an entitlement mentality. And so the entitlement mentality at or attitude is simply that there are certain things that I should be experiencing, and if I am not experiencing them, I can't give thanks. Listen, we don't deserve the least of these blessings, do we? And so if we understand that, if we don't deserve the least of these blessings... then we should be thankful for the blessings we have. You see, we, and be feeling entitled to somehow have a certain kind of life mitigates against thanksgiving. And so here we have, in verse 16, we have Paul just kind of encapsulating this whole thing. He says, therefore... Because our ministry causes, our ministry is a, is a grace to my, our listeners and, and it is being spread through the many and it is causing thanksgiving to God for the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction which is but for a moment, is working for us. I want you to think about that. If you, if you have somebody working for you, you are profiting. It is a, it, it does, they, they are working for us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. The afflictions that you experience in following after Christ, it is working for you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see, it doesn't mean here that the perishing of the outward man is not difficult. It's not saying that. It is hard it is hard for to, to see outward to see suffering in the flesh. It's difficult. But if you look at the comparison though, see the comparison is where it's at. If you compare that your outward man perishing with your inner man, that your spiritual man being renewed day by day, and you compare this earthly Light affliction, that's what he calls it, a light affliction with an exceeding and eternal weight of glory. You see the comparison. That is when we are able to go through this, this, um, this suffering in our mortal flesh. That is when we are able to do so with thanksgiving, you see. When we understand the comparison that's made. We suffer Lightly, we gain an eternal weight of glory. We suffer temporarily for a few days for any unending eternal 
glory. You see, it is working for us this other thing. While we do not look at the things which are seen, you see, and this looking is by the eyes of faith. That is uh, verse 13 and 14 again. We are looking through the eyes of faith. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. The only way to see the things which are not seen is with the eyes of faith. And so, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And this perspective is absolutely essential for you to be able to give thanks. For you to give thanks consistently, for you to give thanks continually, is if you have this perspective of eternal glory awaiting you. You see, you can suffer through these times. You can suffer through this earthly life if you know that there's a glory awaiting you. You see, and it's as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if we hope only in this life in Christ, we're of all men the most pitiable. But because there's a resurrection, because He will raise us up, verse 14, with Him, now we can give thanks for anything that we suffer. And so these, these trials, these tribulations, these afflictions that come our way, they are temporary. Remember, they are temporary. Some of us are closer home than others, but we don't know. Maybe not. Maybe the youngest of us is closest home. We don't know. But let's look at it from that perspective. This earthly life is temporary. But that which is not seen is eternal. I would heartily recommend Psalm 107. I don't have time to, to look at that at length. But Psalm 107. And just consider how many times it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. And then he goes down here and he says... Um, in verse 6, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distress. And then He says again in verse 8, Oh, give thanks. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. You, you, you go down a few more verses, and it just spells out, Oh, who sat in darkness and shadow of death. Verse 15, Then they cried out to the Lord in, the, in their trouble, and He saved them out of their distress. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord. It's a continual, it's another picture of if we are not calling out to the Lord and, he's, and, and we're not perceiving His hearing us, are we going to give thanks to the Lord? No, we won't. It is, it is conditional to the fact that we are receiving. And we are receiving all the time from the goodness of the Lord. But I want to read Psalm 106 in verse 47 in closing. In closing. Psalm 106, 47. This is what the psalmist says here. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. He says simply, save us to give thanks. That's what he's saying. Save us to give thanks. Isn't that amazing? That's why He has saved us, to give thanks to Him. It is, it is one of the reasons, gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to Your holy name, to triumph in Your praise. Well, I want to close with those thoughts that we would find the foundation of thanksgiving. That we would understand that grace, spreading grace, is what causes thanksgiving. And that you can be a part of that. You can be a part of that spreading grace. You can be a means of God's grace to another that causes thanksgiving to, to arise and abound to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father God, as we...
consider these principles of thanksgiving. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the blessings of heaven that we already have. Father, we would, we would see them and count them and, and, in, and see if we can number them. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our faith, the, that, our, that our spiritual eyes would be open to the glorious blessings that we have in Christ and that we would endeavor to minister them to others, that ultimately this land would be filled with thanksgiving unto you, that, that words of thanks would rise to you and that you would be glorified in the earth as you ought to be. Father, we just rejoice in your goodness to us. Through Christ we pray. Amen.